It's the second Wednesday in August. That means that today we'll be having questions and answers on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. It's such a blessing to have you here with us today. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and of course, today being the second Wednesday of August, we're going to be going over questions and answers today. These are questions that have been sent in by listeners from uh, around the world, from you know regular email to MySpace, you know, different uh, different kinds of questions from different kinds of people. That's always fun for me. I hope it's always fun for you guys. And of course, you know, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be able to give you guys answers to any questions that you guys have. Uh, before we get started, I want to apologize for anyone who tried to go to BibleStudyPodcast.org over the past couple of days and listen to the Monday podcast. Uh, if you did, I sounded like a chipmunk. <laughs> And I'm not even sure exactly how that happened, but somehow, uh, you know, the the recording went funny and it, and it didn't configure with the parameters we have set on BibleStudyPodcast.org. You know, I don't do any of that stuff anyway. That's all stuff that Jamie does. And so anyway, it was brought to my attention that uh, while I was talking about speech, uh, I happened to sound like a chipmunk. So uh, anyway, we got that fixed. I, <laughs> so I, I hope that if anybody didn't listen to Monday's message because I sounded like a chipmunk. Go ahead and go back because it's been fixed now. I don't sound like a chipmunk anymore, and you can uh, you can enjoy the um, the serious nature of Monday's podcast. Uh, but anyway, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started today. We don't have a bunch of questions. We've just got three questions today, although I did receive some very good questions through email from you guys, and I appreciate that as always. But let's go ahead and get started with a letter from Wayne. Wayne writes, Hello, my name is Wayne, and I have a question for you. I have been reading the Bible for some time now, and I have a problem with the rapture. I have not found this word in any translation of the Bible, save for the NKJV, that is, the New King James Version of the Bible, or um, as my professor, Dr. Tom Howe, would say, the New King Jimmy. Um, Anyway, so Wayne writes, I have studied this theory and I have found that it does not match anything of what is taught by Christ. I do know the history of where this came from, but don't understand why it is believed by so many people. I listen to your podcasts every week and I respect you as a pastor and man of God and would like your input to this problem. Is it something that I'm missing or not seeing? Please help. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you very much, Wayne, for your email. And uh, thank you very much for, for the compliments. I'm I'm not a pastor uh, yet. I've received the call from God, but I haven't received the call from any churches just yet, although I have sent my resume out. But normally, I don't hear anything back from churches. But anyway, that's beside the point. But to get to, to your, your question here, first of all, the fact that it wasn't taught directly by Christ, he never mentions the word rapture. That I don't want you to get confused just because he never uses the word rapture. He also never used the word 
Trinity, but you can find the Trinity in the Bible and in the teachings of Christ. Now, the reason that you don't find the word rapture in the New Testament is, you know, frankly, because the word rapture really isn't used. So in order to answer your question, we're going to have to look at the history of the word or where the word rapture comes from. Now, the Greek word for caught up in uh, in the New Testament is arpazo, which would later on be translated as rapturo in the Latin Vulgate Bible, uh, and that's, you know, medieval times. And that's exactly where the word comes from. It comes from the Latin Vulgate. Now, of course, caught up comes from First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, 16 through 17. That's one place where you can find um, the the Greek word arpazo, uh, so First Thessalonians chapter four verses sixteen through uh, seventeen reads, "For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord." Now. There are at least five important things that we can that we can look at this verse and see just in these in these two verses. Uh, first of all, that Christ will descend from heaven. That is, he's going to return. He's coming back. Second, the dead in Christ will rise. That is, there will be a resurrection of dead believers or deceased believers. Third. Uh, that those who are living will be caught up in the air with Jesus following the resurrection of dead believers. Four, there will be a reunion of believers with their deceased predecessors. We're going to meet with the, the resurrected believers in the air. And the fifth thing that we can see here, at least the fifth thing that we can see here, is that from this point forward, from from being caught up in the air, moving forward, we will always be in the presence of Jesus. Now, looking at some other passages, there's a lot more that we can learn about the rapture, particularly from the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Those books are absolutely loaded with references to the rapture. Now, the rapture shouldn't be confused with the second coming, and this is something that throws a lot of people off, including Hank Hanegraaff, and we're going to get to that in just a, uh, a few minutes. But um, those are two totally separate events. The rapture will be when Jesus comes for his saints, which is what we find in uh, verses like Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. But the second coming is when Jesus returns with the saints. For example, Jude uh, verse 14. Now, in the rapture, only believers are going to see Jesus, and you can get that from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. But in the second coming, Revelation 1, 7 tells us that every eye will see Jesus. Now, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, there will be no signs which indicate that the rapture is near. There's no indications that the rapture is coming, but there will be many signs which precede the second coming, as we find in Matthew 24, verses 3 through 30. Now, of course, as believers, we are, you know, we're commanded to be the salt of the earth. We are this uh, this city on a hill. But what do you think is going to happen when the saltiness or the light is removed from the world, which is what's going to happen in the rapture. Well, that's when the tribulation is going to begin, because it's going to be evil times. So according to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, that's when the tribulation begins, at the rapture. 
Now, then we find in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7, that with the second coming, the tribulation ends, and the millennial reign of Jesus, that is, the 1,000-year reign of Jesus, begins. And again, that's Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. Now, there are there are tons of other passages which refer to the rapture as well, and we're not going to go into detail, but let me just list some off for you here. There's John chapter 14, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 and chapter 15 verses 51 through 53. There's Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 to 22. There's Colossians chapter 3 verse 4. There's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, chapter 2 verse 19, chapter 4 verses 13 through 18, chapter 5 verse 9, and chapter 5 verse 23. And then there's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. There's 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 28, James, five, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse, verses 7 and 13, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 28 to uh, chapter 3, verse 2, Jude, verse 21, Revelation, chapter 2, verses 25, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 22, verses 7, uh, chapter 22, verse 12, and chapter 22, verse 20. Now, of course, we don't have time to discuss each one of these um, these passages in detail, of course, but I, w- I do want to encourage you to do your own study on these verses and see what you can what you can find out. Don't let me rob you of the joy of discovery. Look in there and see what you can find. See what the common link would be and see what you think it might say about the rapture. And, you know, again, email me if you have any questions. I think all of these verses indicate that there will be a rapture. Now, there are a lot of theories out there regarding end times, and that causes a lot of confusion for people. And of course, Hank Hanegraaff of the Christian Research Institute is a partial preterist, uh, believing that a lot of the things which are commonly believed to happen or, or be prophesied regarding the end times actually happened with the destruction of Jerusalem in uh, AD 70. And one of these days, I'm, I'm going to do a series of Wednesday podcasts in which we talk about and refute preterism. And I'll explain for everyone at that point why, you know, it's totally an inconsistent belief. And in fact, it's it's heresy. And I do have a lot of respect for Hank Canegraaff, but when he started with this obsession that he has about promoting or advocating uh, partial preterism, I have to admit, I, you know, I started wondering why he chose that hill to die on. We all have to pick and choose our battles. And I, I just have to say that I was, you know, pretty deeply troubled when I started noticing that that was the battle that uh, that Mr. Hanegraaff had chosen to engage in. And if you ask me, he's he's on the wrong side. He's, he's misinterpreting the Bible. But we'll talk about that again, uh, one of these other podcasts, and that's going to be a series because there are just so many things that are wrong with preterism. But thank you, Wayne. I appreciate your question, and God bless you. I hope this answers it for you, and I hope it helps you grow in your faith in Jesus. Now, our next question comes from... Uh, Mama Dukes from MySpace, who writes, I subscribe to Bible study podcasts and I am learning the Bible with you. Let me ask you something. You explained the term apostle when you started the book of Romans, when we started the the study on the book of Romans. There are people today, God's messengers, whose title is apostle. However, they were not witness to the crucifixion. Please explain. 
Well, thank you, Mama Dukes, for your question. That's a very good question, and it's uh, it really is confusing. I know that it was only a, a few years ago that I was confused about the same thing. I was confused about you know what made somebody an apostle, or what is an apostle, and why would there be apostolic churches even today. But I can assure you that while uh, while many people give themselves the title of apostle, the term isn't being used in a biblical sense, since the term apostle, when when you see it in the New Testament, it's never referring to anybody other than the people who qualified uh, as an apostle. So let's talk a little bit about what those qualifications are. First of all, they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. This is a qualification that we see come into play in uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, for example, when Matthias is talking about who could possibly qualify as a replacement for Judas, who had committed suicide. And this is the one time that an apostle or one of the disciples has a successor. Now, Paul also referred to the fact that he was an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ as something that qualified him to be an apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, when he wrote, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Secondly, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20 tell us that apostles were given as a gift from God for the foundation of the church, for the establishment of the church, which occurred in the first century by the people who were directly commissioned by Jesus to spread the gospel. Further, there was no apostolic succession recorded in the Bible. That is, neither Peter nor nor James nor Paul nor any of the apostles are recorded as having appointed somebody or designated somebody to take their place as they either grew older or were martyred, as was the case with all of the, the apostles except for Um, of course, the Apostle John. For example, Acts chapter 12, verse 2, records the death of James, the brother of John, but makes no mention at all of there being a successor to James as an apostle. However, we do find mention of elders having been appointed, such as in uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 23. So why no mention of apostolic succession? Because there was none. And remember, again, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20 make it clear that the purpose of the apostles was to build the foundation of the church, which was in the first century. Now, we can also see in the later writings in the New Testament, the the things that were written later, that the, the use of the word apostle fades very quickly as as the books get older and older further and further away from uh from the time of Jesus why because there were fewer apostles around they were being martyred and there were only 12 of them and uh they weren't being replaced i think it's also worth noting that many of the the false gospels the pseudo gospels such as the gospel of peter or the gospel of thomas or or you know even the gospel of judas those claim to be written by one of the apostles why? Because the apostles were the only people who had the authority, uh, unlike anybody else in their time besides Jesus himself. And so by, by putting the, the names of the apostles on these Gnostic gospels, these false writings, the author's hope was that their writings um, would be recognized as having the authority that the apostles had. So while many people today refer to themselves as apostles, it's, you know, that's a a game of semantics, if anything. It's a title. 
and there's certainly no biblical support for them doing so. I think it stems from the meaning of the word apostle, uh, which means basically a messenger. They were messengers who were sent on behalf of kings. And so, you know, people want to be recognized as messengers of God, but is it in the same way? Well, I think it's dangerous for them to claim to be an apostle in the same way that the people in the Bible were, because um, the the apostle also had the same authority as the king when speaking on the king's behalf. And I don't believe that anybody today speaks on God's behalf anymore. All of the special revelation of God is contained in the Bible. It's available to everybody, not just a select few. That's a good question. I hope this answers it for you, uh, and I hope that makes sense. But if you have any questions regarding any of that stuff, you know, feel free to contact me. I'd be happy to, to give you, you know, even more evidence, but time is not permitting uh, for now. But thank you, Mama Dukes. I appreciate your question. God bless you, sister, and, uh, and keep listening to us. Keep growing closer to Jesus. And our final question today comes from Janet on MySpace, who writes, Hi, Toby, I have a question. Do animals go to heaven when they die? And what happens to them when the rapture takes place? Are they taken up to heaven with us, or are they left behind? Well, thank you very much for your question, Janet. That's a good question. Um, And, you know, of course, there are a lot of people who wonder what the answer to this might be because they have pets or whatnot, and there are a lot of different opinions regarding this matter. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure that we'll ever that anybody will ever have a conclusive answer. Well, the, you know, we might never know until the day comes when we're actually in heaven and can find out for ourselves because there are some good arguments on both sides to be honest. But that being said, um I'm sure you asked this question because you probably know by now that I'm the type of person who would have wondered something like this and I've tried to come up with a logical um coherent consistent you know, biblical response for it. So let me give you um, my opinion on this, and I'm I'm not even going to say that this is necessarily right because I kind of flip flop back and forth on this issue. Thank goodness it's not a, a a salvation issue that our you know our salvation doesn't depend on whether we get this answer right or not. First of all, um, mankind is distinct from every other animal. In fact, uh, let me take that back. I can't I can't even say that because to say that would mean that mankind are animals as well, but we're not. God designed us completely differently than he designed animals. He created us in his image, but that's that's what sets us apart from and above the rest of creation. Further, um only Adam had the breath of life breathed into him by God. None of the plants or animals or, or anything else in all of creation was given this breath of life. And this breath of life, of course, is our spirit, the part of us that will live forever. So it's certainly significant that animals uh, not only were not created in the image of God, but they weren't given the breath of life either. They don't have a spirit. Secondly, if animals do go to heaven when they die, uh, you know, where do you draw the line? Does that mean all animals go to heaven? What about snakes? Um, you know, while they were made to to crawl on the ground as punishment for tempting mankind to fall into sin, there's no indication that they faced eternal damnation necessarily. Or what about scorpions or, or jellyfish or plankton, for that matter? Those are animals too. 
Uh, third, looking at the new heaven and earth as described, you know, toward the end of the book of Revelation, you'll note that there are no oceans and that the Bible specifically says there are no oceans. Well, I'm sure that everybody knows that if there were no oceans, there are no plankton. And if there are no plankton, you've taken out the bottom of the food chain, which would create um, basically a domino effect up to the food chain until no animals existed anymore. So if you take out the bottom level, you take out all animal life. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's significant or not, but it just seems kind of logical. Um, also, looking at the verses talking about the rapture, you know, as we were just talking about a few minutes ago, there there are just no indications that animals are going to be raptured. And I would say that that's because they don't have spirits. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of us who would love to be able to spend eternity with um, our pets and animals that we've loved during our lifetimes. I know that I've had a couple dogs that I absolutely loved, and, and I miss them to this day, but I'm just not sure about whether or not there will be animals in heaven. But one thing I do know, and the, this is one thing I am absolutely sure about, and that is that we will never, ever, ever experience a feeling of lacking anything when we're in heaven someday. It's going to be the most fulfilling, rewarding, enjoyable experience ever, whether there are animals in heaven or not. And personally, I can't wait to meet all of you when we get there. Thank you, Janet, for your question. That's a good question, and I hope you know that's an intelligent answer. But like I said, I'm not sure that, um, that there's a, a really clear answer you know, given to us in the Bible. Anyway, thank you, Janet, for your question. God bless you, and thank you for sending that in. Well, we are out of time for today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. I hope it cools down a little bit and we can all get a little bit cooler weather. I will see you guys next week. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. Keep growing closer to Jesus.